Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Monday edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. I got my special guest co-host for the day. Uh, he's been... Uh, coming in and out of the revolving door in this studio a little more frequently here as of late uh, and very uh, stoked about that. I got Christian Shimabuku. He is the uh, digital sports reporter at KHON2. Christian, glad to have you back again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kano. It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, well, thanks for making the time for sure. Uh, we don't get a lot of holidays around here. Uh, this is a federal holiday, Juneteenth, um, but we don't get it. There was Kamehameha Day. We didn't get that either. Uh, I, I wish that we were on the same holiday schedule as the banks. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm looking at Liz Stacy. She's in the room next door. She absolutely concurs. But here we are, and uh, we couldn't be happier to talk about sports. It was a big weekend. Obviously, you had the U.S. Open. Uh, I do want to kind of get into some of that stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, transaction discussion to be had uh, in the NBA with now the latest big three being put together in Phoenix uh, with the likes of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. Want to definitely talk about that. Yesterday was Father's Day, though, and want to wish uh, a belated happy Father's Day uh, to all the daddies out there and uh, even for uh, all of the daddies' daddies and even some of those who uh, weren't uh, around this time uh, through the uh, the holiday weekend. But uh, definitely just want to say that and maybe start start off with it got me thinking because you know father's day when you do a sports radio talk show uh you're always kind of thinking about silly questions and that kind of stuff and you know what sort of entered my mind yesterday uh i started thinking about who are the best and who are the worst sports movie dads of all time right i mean you know there is definitely a place in all of our hearts i think for like a good sports movie and i think uh you know you have some of the og some of the originals that's certainly near the top of my list like hoosiers uh rudy um you have field of dreams uh you know just just to name a few major league certainly one of the great ones for for a variety of reasons uh, but you know and things have gotten a little cookie cutter in the sports movie department right a lot of disney movies that are sort of formulaic and uh but you have a laundry list of characters uh, to be able to, to conduct some of these uh, discussions regarding and or revolving around. And in the case of dads, who are the best dads and who are the worst dads in sports movies? So one of the first that came to my mind as far as like on the best side uh, was Field of Dreams, which was very much a father-son inspired story right it was very much about lineage it was very much about searching out and seeking out uh, a relationship with one's father and so dwyer brown who was the um dad in field of dreams he played kevin costner's dad and, and they finally had that that catch at the end of the movie which was you know the the culmination if you will of, of all of the effort you know build it and he will come and all that stuff and that was a special moment and so i think you know uh, without getting into how he was in a lifetime as a father right of uh, what we know from the movie of just that bond that connection at the end i would suggest that uh, that character the dad in field of dreams uh, would certainly be on the short list of best sports movie dads do you have any to contribute here off the top of your head christian 
Yeah, I know when um, you first approached me about this topic about good sports dads, my mind <laughs> couldn't help but go to bad ones um, in the movies. So I put a list together of, okay. of bad sports dads. There, there might be some psychology behind why you quickly go there. We won't have to get necessarily into that. But we do yeah. want to open up the phone lines for any suggestions to 808-296-1420, yeah. the number to call. Uh, you can also text in via the Zephyr Insurance text line at that same number. All right, get us going. So you're, you're starting on the bad side. Yeah. Who, are the, who are some of the worst sports dads? So one bad sports dad um, <laughs> in a movie, which is the theme, uh, would be Jake Shuttlesworth, um, the father of Jesus Shuttlesworth, oh, and he got game. Denzel Washington's yep, character. Denzel Washington using Jesus Shuttlesworth, who was played by Ray Allen, um, as a negotiating piece um, to try to get him to college. Uh, I was trying to spin this as like a good sports dad, um, trying to get his son <laughs> to school. But uh, NBA rules were different at the time. This was uh, probably the best player in his draft class, right? Um, why wouldn't you steer him towards the NBA? But no, this dad, uh, you know, used his son as a negotiating <laughs> deal. Probably far too realistic, <laughs> yeah. I think, in, in what we probably see across the board in this day and age, uh, in, especially in the NIL era of mm -hmm. college sports. I mean, you imagine that that probably goes on much, much more. But yeah, he was, he was a questionable dad for a number of reasons, right? He was a bit of an absentee father because of some of the legal and criminal issues that he ran into. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there was some of that. And then uh, trying to leverage, <laughs> leverage Jesus uh, Shuttlesworth uh, and just kind of naming him Jesus Shuttlesworth to yeah. begin with was also kind of a, of, of a tough move, like really put a lot of pressure on this uh, kid here as he grew up. Uh, one of the dads that came to my mind, just because I love this movie and it's like the moments with the dad are always the ones that that kind of touch me the most and and maybe even conjure up uh, a few uh, tears at, at, at any given time uh, the dad in Rudy um, do you, you remember that movie mm -hmm. pretty well so yeah the dad who um, actually could probably could be considered for both lists because originally he very much was skeptical and uh, kind of talked down about Rudy and, and his aspirations to one day suit up and play for Notre Dame. Uh, but the part that always gets me is when uh, he finally did get into Notre Dame and he got the admission letter and he showed the dad at work the admission letter and he just started getting all emotional. That gets me every time. And then when Rudy takes the field and the family's there and the dad's in the crowd and he couldn't look any prouder and I was like, okay, that's fantastic. What a great dad. But then you kind of take a step back and you start thinking about how he was towards Rudy over the course of the movie and it's like, well, maybe he should be considered for the other list as well. But yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely uh, put... Um, uh, Papa Rudiger uh, on, <laughs> on my list of uh, at least prominent and, and I'll say best sports movie dads. Any other uh, additions here? Yeah, so uh, another addition to the bad dads <laughs> list is uh, a classic movie, uh, Jerry Maguire, um, Frank Cushman's father, oh, um, yeah. who turned his back on his word, um, even though it was supposedly stronger than Oak. Um, yeah, you just don't do that as a man. Yeah, and like his reasoning for it too, he's like because you were walking around with and like kind of had yeah, a yeah. bit of a of a uh, you know racist uh, uh, observation about uh, why he ended up not going with Jerry Maguire. Yeah, that guy was uh, that guy was not cool. That's a <laughs> bad dad right there. That's definitely a bad dad. Uh, who else would be a bad dad? Oh, I know. Um, Roy Turner is the name of this character. He was the coach in the movie Bad News Bears, the coach of the Yankees. Remember the team that the Bad News Bears played uh, in the championship game and his son was the pitcher and then he ends up going out there and, and throwing a rage fest and pushing the son to the ground. Uh, Roy Turner, who was played by Vic Moreau, um, that's a bad dad. That is a bad sports movie dad. Did you think of any good 
dads in sports movies yet? Yeah, so, um, well, I have a good one, but um, <laughs> it doesn't come without bringing up the bad one. Okay. So I'll give them both to you. So bad dad <laughs> is Michael Jordan in Space Jam. <laughs> good dad is LeBron James in Space Jam. <laughs> Because uh, if you've seen both Space Jams, uh, Michael Jordan in the first one abandons his family just to get some more hoops in. <laughs> and, you know, we both love getting our hoops in, but sure. not the expense of our families. Sure. Um, the second Space Jam that LeBron James is in, um, you know, is about, you know, being a father and, you know, telling his kids that they can be the best version of themselves, even without basketball. LeBron James <laughs> is saying, you know, I'm the best basketball player of all time, but I want you to be, you know, your own person. And uh, that was a very beautiful moment as yeah, well. Yeah, like the entire story arc of the second Space Jam was like LeBron trying to bring his family back together, yeah. right? Bring his son back into the fold. Um, whereas you're right, you're right, the original MJ, like it started with him just playing golf anyway. Like he was nowhere yeah. around his family, right? And he missed his son's <laughs> Little League game. <laughs> Wasn't there for it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? And then when you watch like uh, Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, and then you know you kind of see LeBron talking about uh, his sons and his family, you think, "Wow, um, I think they got those uh, character <laughs> depictions pretty spot on there in the first Space Jam versus the second Space Jam." Eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty is the number to call. We'll keep that open ended if anybody wants to chime in uh, for uh, the short list of best sports movie dad, and we also have the list worst sports movie dad. So if you have any thoughts, you can definitely call in or text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, as mentioned, it was a big weekend for a number of reasons. Also pretty big on the Hawaii athlete front, talking about recruiting for the University of Hawaii football team uh, and also a pretty big move by another Hawaii athlete out of Baldwin High School, Vehiva Aloy, who went and played his freshman year at Sacramento State, uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Freshman All-American. He hit way over three 300 um, was just one of the biggest offensive uh, production guys uh, in that conference and maybe even in the Western region uh, as a freshman. Uh, and so he uh, made it known this weekend that he had committed uh, to transfer to Arkansas. So he goes from Baldwin High School, uh, didn't have a, a ton of offers on the table, even though, you know, he comes from pretty good stock. His dad, Jamie Alloy, obviously was a pitcher and first baseman at the University of Hawaii, played a little pro ball himself but didn't have a ton of offers, ends up going to Sacramento State. They give him the legit opportunity. They put him out there. Uh, he becomes an absolute freshman star, uh, and now he parlays that into an opportunity to play in the SEC. We have seen some guys take those kinds of steps in the past, but how significant, in your opinion, is this, Christian? You put out a report on KHON2 about uh, this story, uh, and so Vihiva Loy uh, parlaying his freshman year into an opportunity to play uh, in what is considered um, the best conference in college baseball. Uh, how significant is that? Yeah, for sure. I think, first of all, I'm really happy for him because that's a great opportunity for him, you know, to play in the best uh, baseball conference in the country, in the SEC, um, to play for Arkansas. Um, but I think it really does illustrate, on the other hand, um, the new reality of college athletics where, you know, Sacramento State did take a chance on this kid, um, you know, uh, from a small island in Maui. Um, very far away, um, comes back and has this huge year, um, you know, whack freshman of the year. And yeah. then now he's allowed to enter the transfer portal, um, see what's out there for him. And uh, it just so happened that Arkansas, um, you know, has a spot. Um, you know, another interesting thing is, uh, you know, Arkansas has a, a Punahou commit in Nolan Souza um, at shortstop. 
But I think that also signifies that he's probably not coming. You know, he's in the he's at the MLB Combine this week. I'm um, in Arizona. Um, he's viewed as one of the best um, Oahu prep position prospects in mm. a while. Um, so I think that signals that, you know, their shortstop is going to be from Hawaii next year, but it's probably not going to be ah, uh, Puna Hosnall and Souza. So, yeah. so at the very least, this is like a bit of an insurance plan or policy being taken out by Arkansas. But what is more likely is the writing on the wall that they don't necessarily think Nolan Souza is even going to make it to campus because of the opportunities that are likely to come his way. That's an interesting reading of the tea leaves right there. Yeah, for sure. And um, if they do both make it to campus, then, you know, you might have a middle infield of uh, two dudes from Hawaii, which would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. Uh, but for a, a guy like Wahiva Aloy, um, again, illustrating uh, the current state of college baseball, you know, um, are you kind of worried, Kanoa? Like, is the uh, group of five becoming a, a feeder for the Power Five conferences? Well, I mean, I think that has been um, one of the concerns since the transfer portal uh, became what we know it to be now. Uh, with the introduction of the NIL to that equation, uh, the um, penalty-free initial transfer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that opens the door for this kind of movement. What we have also seen, though... Um, and, and, you know, the, the percentage balance of this is probably something that, that uh, could use a little bit more research uh, to be parsed in a more accurate way. But we have seen that that door revolves both ways. We have seen, yes, for sure, group of five programs, uh, standout athletes, certainly in the NIL era, athletes who are looking to increase their profile, um, increase their brand. I hate that phrase, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a reality. Uh, they will get opportunities they will hear around the way from people that know people that know people that there are opportunities if they were to enter the transfer portal to maybe go to a bigger program greener pastures that kind of thing and we see players that make that move and i don't begrudge them for doing that i mean every athlete has an independent uh, right and and opportunity if they see it fit uh, to try to do what's best for them, what's best for their futures, what's best for their families' futures, if, if they have aspirations to become professionals at one point. Uh, and so I don't, I don't begrudge players or student-athletes for making that decision. Uh, I think what you'd like to see is the balance, though, and we have seen that the door swings both ways. The University of Hawaii has been uh, a, 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 a benefactor or, you know, has, has been a, 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 a benefactor of the transfer portal in uh, the, the cases of players that have gone from Power 5 mm -hmm. programs and conferences and have transferred back home. We've seen that at the University of Hawaii in a number of different sports. Uh, and so, you know, I think it goes both ways. Does it balance out? Does it weigh more heavily? Is there still a much greater advantage for the Power 5s to be able to kind of uh, pick and pluck um, players from from group of five schools that, that are performing at a higher level? Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably, you know, I think we've seen some cases of players that have transferred down from Power Five to Group of Five programs, uh, whatever sport you're talking about, that have become stars themselves. But what usually is the case is those Power Five teams, in the instance of Vejiva Loy, that's an Arkansas team, that's getting a, a pretty proven commodity at the college level. Now, the, the competition is going to increase. The velocity of pitching that he's going to mm -hmm. see and the quality of pitching is going to increase. Is he going to be able to still perform in the same way that remains to be seen but i think it's it's a more informed decision for them because they have seen this guy play at the college level and so i still think that if you were to depict the the balance of power there it still leans in favor of the teams that are getting the more proven athletes from the 
quote-unquote group of five programs. Um, and I think the, the unknown commodities still remain the players that don't necessarily get the playing time, don't necessarily uh, get the production um, or, or record the kind of statistical production uh, that you see elsewhere in, the, in their careers or years with the Power Five conferences. And so when they come down, it's still kind of a roll of the dice. So I think that those two things are somewhat different. And so you'd have to give the edge still. But I, I don't know if it's so much a feeder type of scenario or equation, because I do think, as I mentioned, that the door swings both ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, we just saw it with Maui Ahuna at Tennessee. Um, and yeah, that was a very good uh, business decision for him because he had a big year at Kansas. Um, he doesn't quite match those numbers at Tennessee, but it's pretty close. He's still hitting above 300. Um, he's still playing some solid short shortstop. Um, so it was a good one-year decision for him. But I think in Vahiva's case, it's a huge jump to face WAC pitching. And then now you're facing SEC yeah. pitching um, You know, from being a freshman to a sophomore whereas Maui was a, a sophomore to a junior heading into his draft year, um, playing for Team USA in the summer. So I'm really curious to see for Vahiva, um, you know, how he makes that transition. I do think, um, you know, if I had to predict, I think he does pretty well, though. Yeah, He's yeah. a good player. He's a really good ball player. So you don't see this as, as much of a, a risk as maybe some other guys that have tried to make that leap? No, it's a risk, but I think it's a worthwhile one for Vahiva, especially if he does well. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I agree. This, uh, he has proven that he is uh, extremely talented. There's no doubt about it. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, and we, when we come back, I do want to get into a little bit more on the uh, recruiting news front because the University of Hawaii football program uh, got some pretty intriguing verbal commitments here over the weekend. Uh, we'll delve into that with Christian Shimabuku. He is the digital sports reporter for KHON2. But before we take a break, just want to remind everybody, stay cool this summer. Get the new Bosch Inverter Central air conditioning system that qualifies for up to $1,000 Hawaii Energy Rebate. Ask your contractor for the Bosch Inverter. We'll be back. Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Lehi here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku, he's the digital sports reporter for KHON2. He joins me as my guest co-host here for the day. Uh, no guests scheduled here for this edition of the program either. Uh, so we're wide open if you want to call in 808-296-1420. Again, we brought up the topic of uh, best and worst sports movie dads and actually got a little bit of uh, action on the uh, text message front uh, if you want to uh, text in via the Zephyr Insurance text line as well. Uh, there's a dad that definitely should be best dads list. And again, these don't have to be like prominent feature character roles, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, someone just texted me and said uh, the dad of Marla, the character in League of Their Own, remember Marla Hooch was the big hitting, you know, um, the, the one that uh, maybe wasn't necessarily the, the stereotypical vision of what the coordinators of the league we're, we're hoping to recruit into the league, right? Uh, but she could play. She was, like, mashing. And uh, <laughs> her dad in that movie, he had to, like, talk John Lovitz's character into taking Marla to the tryouts. And she ended up being a really, really great player. But uh, he really had to kind of, you know, uh, do his thing to sell the fact that, you know, he needed that John Lovitz's character needed to take Marla with him, and he ultimately did. Um, and then when she was on the train, riding off, he got all emotional. That was a pretty emotional moment in the movie, too. Pretty touching there. So, uh, yeah, the actor who played the dad of Marla. Best dad list, for sure, uh, in sports movie history. Uh, you got any others? Yeah, to counter, to balance out your good dad, <laughs> I'll bring up a bad dad. That seems to be your thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, 
Yeah, I know as we as we were talking about it during the break, like the the golden age of sports movies is pretty much behind us. You kind of have to dig into the 90s. So to go back to that era, Varsity Blues, um, <laughs> the father of Jonathan Moxon. Oh uh, yes, the backup uh, who was the backup quarterback of his Texas Varsity high school team. Um, his father, who was obsessed with football, even though his son was this, you know, smart guy who was getting into Brown. Um, but he, you know, as he won the starting role because of an injury, um, you know, his football-obsessed dad got even more obsessed with football, um, started comparing his son to even That's more right. things. Um, and then it produced that iconic line, um, I don't want your life. <laughs> Say uh, it. Come on. You got to do I it. I don't want your life. <laughs> I don't want your life. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Which, um, you know, a, a throwback to UH football fans, uh, when Michael Graham transferred uh, out of the program, out of his father, uh, Todd Graham's program, uh, that was a pretty uh, frequently used meme. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, I just throwing one at you. Apollo Creed, mm. good dad or bad dad? Ooh, that one's a little bit of both, <laughs> There's right? some complications there. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are you going with? Mm. I mean, there was a whole, like, you know... Um, he was kind of nasty, though, so bad. Yeah, well, that's, I, that's I, my especially as it pertains to, yeah. like, this latest, uh, you know, series of movies that are uh, kind of the spin-off, you know, the Creed series, um, where he didn't really have a relationship with his mm -hmm. dad. So, yeah, Apollo doesn't necessarily show well in that one. All right, if you have any suggestions, uh, call in. Uh, again, 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, all right, so pretty big weekend. In fact, you can actually expand that out to a pretty big week for University of Hawaii football uh, in terms of some of the verbal commitments that the team received here uh, this past week. In fact, if you just look at the weekend alone, uh, three names that are awfully intriguing. You have Joshua Tavui, O-lineman from Campbell High School. You have Noah Wiley, the edge rusher from St. Louis, uh, and also Alika Kavakua Moy, uh, outside linebacker from Puna. Uh, that was all sort of within the last couple of days that those verbal commitments became known. Uh, but we mentioned uh, Nazaya Carvalho last week. Uh, and so if you want to kind of rewind all the way back to include the verbal commitments prior to the weekend, you have uh, you have Nazaya, you have Tuimuti, uh, offensive lineman from Punahou, uh, and you also have James Milovale, uh, who is a transfer from uh, Hartnell College. But um, especially on the local recruiting front, um, with Caravallo, who is out of Kamehameha. Uh, what do you think about this last sort of run of verbal commitments here for Hawaii? Yeah, it's very encouraging. Um, I think when you talk to college coaches and you ask them, um, you know, what's the most important thing to get in recruiting? I think they'll tell you um, if you're the flagship school of your state, you definitely want to keep um, your local talent. Um, but then an evergreen theme uh, as well across any school is the line of scrimmage, um, so O-line, D-line. Um, and so, yeah, with uh, these recent string of commitments, you're getting both of them. You're getting um, offense alignment that are local, um, defense alignment that are local. And I think the biggest, um, you know, cherry on top for UH is they're getting guys who are actually choosing UH over other bigger schools, you know, such as in Arizona. Um, Nazaya Caravallo was committed to Arizona. Um, he decommitted last month. Um, I think more people thought that he would see it, his recruitment through and maybe visit some of the other schools. But no, he visited UH and, and committed, um, which I think is a pretty big deal um, in uh, Noah Wiley. Um, he also had offers from you know Washington State, Arizona, Oregon State. Yeah. It's kind of hard to believe he chose UH, right? But uh, you know, I think he sees the vision there, and um, I think uh, you know his commitment in particular um, was a big one for sure. Yeah, what, what do you think, why do you think the message that this 
this coaching staff is putting together, why do you think it's resonating um, so much with some of these recruits? I mean, like you said, these are guys who have Pac-12 offers. These are guys who have Power 5 opportunities, but they are, at the very least, keeping Hawaii on their short list, right? They're at the very least allowing Hawaii to kind of be a, a quote-unquote finalist when it comes to their uh, college commitments. And hey, look, there's still some time that remains for these guys to remain committed, and Hawaii's going to have to continue the recruitment even with these commitments, uh, these verbal commitments. But um, why do you think that message is resonating so much, just based on maybe some of the, the individuals that you're talking with? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... Uh you know, as you said, these coaches do have to sell a vision, right? They can't really sell success right now because um, they're coming off of a three-win season. But I think, uh, you know, the message to these guys is, you know, you're some of the best local talent that the state has to offer, and you can be true pioneers, just as Timmy Chang was, um, you know, some mm -hmm. 20 years ago. You know, his class, as you mentioned, uh, was a very famous class for, you know, being, uh, you know, that local class that, you know, chose UH over other schools. So I think for these guys, um, especially these commits um, amongst each other, um, they're really, um, you know, trying to make it about Hawaii and representing Hawaii. And yeah. Um, you know, that bond as well between those five guys in particular. I think that's also why it's so important for programs to embrace the network of alums, right? When you mm -hmm. kind of look at the history of Hawaii football, there have been some, some successful seasons or certainly winning seasons uh, within the past 10 or so years. But, right, the, the height of the program, right, the, the one that inspired a generation of players, uh, that occurred during the Colt Brennan days. You know, you heard so many athletes, you know, within the last five years that sort of talked about, yeah, I remember when I was a little kid and watching Colt Brennan. Uh, but that's now, you look back, 2007 is like 16 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and you start to wonder, like, how much does that memory even influence uh, or, or even impact at all some of these up-and-coming recruits, guys who are sophomores and juniors in high school? Like, is that something that is even on their radar? And so, you know, it might not be, oh, I remember when Hawaii was was nationally renowned and respected. And you did have some winning seasons, obviously, in 2010, uh, where they had another great season with another crop of great players. And, and you know, uh, Nick Rolovich uh, had several winning seasons as well. And, um, you know, they've had some, some downturns over the course of the last decade, too. And so you wonder, okay, like, how much does the nostalgia actually kick in for this group of up-and-coming talent, right? It's probably more important. This is just, you know, theory here and speculation. It's probably more important that these players see other players that have been through their respective programs, right? Like, uh, you know, Kamehameha athletes or Punahou athletes who have seen other Punahou or Kamehameha athletes from a couple years prior actually getting playing time, actually, you know, being on the field, maybe them talking about the experience that they had last year with this new coaching regime and, you know, some of the pride that's trying to be once again instilled and mm. representing the islands and all of that stuff. I would imagine that some of that messaging might be even more important than, hey, remember when UH was great? It can be great again. Like, they almost have to sell this thing in some respects um, blind, I think, to a lot of athletes because they don't the, – the kids now – they weren't necessarily alive or weren't necessarily uh, old enough to be able to really have appreciated uh, even the nostalgia that we still discuss when it comes to those sort of golden years in the aughts with Cole Brennan and company. Yeah, for sure. And I think in the back end of um, the Nick Rolovich era, he was able to sell at least flashes of success. 
Um, you know, but I think a, a major selling point for these kids, um, like you mentioned, um, is the legacy that you can build here. Um, I think another thing is, um, you know, just being real with these guys and telling them that, you know, like this is your home state and you will be remembered for being the person that signed with UH. I think if you go to a school, um, you know, like in Arizona or like in Oregon State, there's going to be 10 other kids like you in your signing class. Hmm. There's going to be another 10 that are red shirts above you. And so you might get lost in the shuffle. The local community is there. Um, I don't know much about them. But, um, you know, here I know that, you know, they really back up their people. Um, and you really will be remembered there. So that probably was a big selling point is, you know, legacy. Because um, every school, like, you know, if you have all these offers, you will get a free education. Um, you will get meals and whatnot. But, you know, what truly makes it special and I think for these guys, um, it is the legacy that they have the potential to build. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that. And, and I think it, it strikes me as being likely pretty valuable that Timmy Chang himself can speak first person <laughs> about that very type of decision, right? A guy who himself had numerous opportunities to go elsewhere, to go to Power Five conference programs, uh, but he decided to stay home. And yes, it was a bit of a different circumstance because, you know, June Jones was coming off of the greatest turnaround season ever in 99 when Timmy and this huge crop of local talent decided to sign uh, with Hawaii and stay home. Uh, but he still can talk about his decision-making process, what was behind that, the fact that here he is now as a head coach, here he is now still as a, a local Hawaii hero uh, in many respects. And, and yeah, I think that when you have a head coach that can speak to that kind of narrative first person, mm -hmm. that's probably something that can help the, the sale, if you will, uh, of that message and of this program. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's pretty baffling to think about the fact that, you know, some of the schools that approached Timmy Chang and, you know, people forget, you know, he was this record-setting quarterback at UH, but at St. Louis, he was probably, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. You know, Washington wanted him, Utah. Um, you know, I think I read somewhere that, you know, the L.A. schools were pursuing him, you know, UCLA, yeah. USC. So, yeah. you know, UH was uh, – it's crazy to think about, like, maybe if he came up in this era, you know, of the recruiting era, the – or not the recruiting, the, the online recruiting era yeah. where, you know, there's so many recruiting services, social media, um, how many stars would he have been rated by 24-7 sports and yeah. how would that have factored in? Um, so, uh, but I think the bottom line is, you know, um, it is what it is. He played for UH and now he can sell um, what he was going through to these kids because, you know, out of all these kids that committed, they weren't, none of them were getting recruited as heavily as Timmy Chang was. What's the most, uh, 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 this is my theory, the most uh, ubiquitous uh, tweet uh, or post in all of uh, college recruiting, regardless of sport, but let's just focus on football, is this post, right? It's almost verbatim every time. Blessed to have received <laughs> yeah. my fifth offer uh -huh. from the University of such and such, right? Like yeah, that yeah. has to be the most utilized yeah. post or, t or phrase for a tweet or anything on social media in, in the recruiting world, right? Do you agree? Yeah, and then somehow getting, uh, you know, four pictures of the same school <laughs> or like a, a photo shoot uh, with that school. That's right. But that's good too because it gives, uh, you know, media people more jobs, uh, pe t uh, talented people like Trevor um, in oh, the yeah, media departments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but those guys work really hard because every every recruit that comes by gets a photo shoot 
uh, which is a lot of work. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I mean, it also goes to show it's a comprehensive thing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not recruiting doesn't come down to just that one coach or that one connection. Like, it has to be kind of the entire uh, program and even the extension of the program, ancillary staff members that also have to kind of chime in and contribute to try to sell this thing. Uh, it is <laughs> it is an all in everyday endeavor. But congrats to Hawaii because um, they've had a pretty good week, and I think that that's something that can be said. Uh, objectively uh, and without question. Join us along with June Jones, Hawaii Athletics Director Craig Angelis, and Coach Michelle Nagamine at Growler Hawaii for another really big road show. That's Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. There will be happy hour specials, a great menu to choose from as well. Again, that's this Wednesday at Growler Hawaii in Kapuhulu. I got Christian Shimabuku in the house. Uh, we will continue. Let's talk sports after this. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Christian Shibabuku, he is the digital sports reporter for KHON2. He's my guest co-host here for the day. We've been talking about best and worst sports movie dads here in the wake of uh, Father's Day. Uh, and I think it's probably sad to say, I don't know if it's just our cynicism at play here or just the, the fact that some of it stands out more. I think our list of bad sports dads in movies is longer than the, the best sports dads in movies. But if you have any suggestions, feel free to call in 808 296 or text in via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Um, you know, we were talking about Hawaii recruiting, uh, and you mentioned Trevor Camello. I, I think, you know, his um, sort of marketing video production talents has been so huge um, in terms of not just selling the program to potential recruits, but also f as far as the, um, you know, fan experience on game day, uh, those introductions uh, before the announcements of the starting lineups in the arena, like just, just remarkable stuff. Uh, and also Savannah Ryer, who is uh, now the recruiting coordinator uh, for the University of Hawaii football program, uh, who seemingly works tirelessly at this too and is kind of become a primary um, connection point, uh, primary sort of uh, conduit between uh, the UH program and recruits. So I just kind of wanted to make sure that we got those names uh, out there appropriately to uh, to paint that picture because they definitely deserve uh, some credit. But uh, as mentioned, a pretty good week uh, regarding Hawaii recruiting here this past week. All right, uh, let's kind of uh, expand things out uh, on a more uh, national level, if you will, because uh, big news out of the NBA, Bradley Beal uh, being traded by the Washington Wizards to the Phoenix Suns, um, and it wasn't for much. Uh, Washington didn't demand a whole lot. They get Landry Shamit, they get uh, Chris Paul, uh, they got like a couple of like uh, like middle round or second round picks. Like five first rounders or yeah, something. Yeah, or, or was or it? Second rounders. Second rounders, rounders, right, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it wasn't this huge price tag. The huge price tag is actually connected to the contract that Bradley Beal's bringing with him to Phoenix, but they create a big three. But, man, they're going to be thinned out financially, right? Because you got to pay Bradley Beal. He's making like $50 million, $53 million, and $57 million in the next three years. you got KD, who's got a huge contract. you got Devin Booker. So that's your big three, right? You have DeAndre Ayton still there uh, as, as your post presence. Um, but they're going to be playing with, like, broomsticks and shopping carts to fill out the rest of the roster spots here on this team. Uh, but do you like the idea of Phoenix trying to just go for broke here, right, under new ownership um, and, and, you know, making the huge 
very costly trade for Kevin Durant a year ago, and now doing the same for Bradley Beal. Do you like this big three? Do you think this big three has a chance to uh, take down the Denver Nuggets and others? Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen you hoop before. Cano, are you ready to come <laughs> off the bench for the Phoenix Suns? Uh, no, they don't want any part of that. <laughs> I would, I would be, on the, uh, I'd be on the injured list in like a matter of moments. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think as someone who, you know, isn't particularly a Suns fan, um, you know, this doesn't really put fear into me, like, as someone that, you know, would cheer against them in a potential series, right? Um, you know, uh, there's the big three that they have now. Um, it's probably the best shooting big three of all time, or the most, uh, you know, offensively gifted big three of all yeah, time. Yeah. But then beyond that, um, you know, what do you have? Um, you know, uh, you probably do have to trade DeAndre Aiden for depth. And the other thing is there's so many financial complications that come with this. There's terms like, you know, entering the second tax apron um, in the CBA that, you know, is really complicated. Um, you know, uh, the limitations you have in the bench, um, having to sign league minimum guys. I think the Beal trade uh, makes them unable to sign someone to the, the five million mid-level exception. So there's just a lot of um, tinkering that needs to be done, um, a roster that needs to be built. Um, and yeah, it's totally opposite of what we saw with the Denver Nuggets, how, how they developed uh, you know, their system, um, their stars, signed them to extensions, and got to keep all their draft picks. Whereas the Suns, uh, they're giving up everything, and they're giving up their leader in Chris Paul, who um, you know, did make DeAndre Ayton better. And so, um, yeah, it's just uh, after this, it's what do you have after those four guys? Yeah. You can't even name the fifth guy right now. <laughs> Who is it? No, you're right. I, yeah. I, you know, again, they sent, if they still had some of the pieces, maybe even some of the draft picks that they included in the Kevin Durant deal, where they basically, like, they, they sold out for KD. And you could argue, hey, look, it's KD. Like, of course you would sell out for Kevin Durant. He is a generational talent. Uh, he is getting up there. He has himself dealt with some injury. I think that's kind of a, an issue there. Bradley Beal has also had to uh, experience some time uh, off of the court because of injury. Uh, I want to say something like over his last four years, he's missed like over 20% of his games. Um, and so that's going to be an issue as well. Uh, now, Bradley Beal, does he have an awakening because he's in Phoenix and now he's with a contender and, and maybe things change? But the thing I don't love about this particular triumvirate is the fact that you got guys who at least in terms of, of their style of play, are pretty similar. Now, Kevin Durant is way more dynamic than everybody because of his size, and um, you know he, he has a different kind of element uh, to his offensive game, but at, at least in terms of like the foundational uh, aspects of it, they're dominant, high-usage-rate type of scorers, right, who are lethal in the mid-range. Bradley Beal has had some seasons where he has gone bananas uh, from three-point range, uh, but that's kind of leveled out a little bit in the last few years as well will he be able to once again elevate himself to being like a close to 40 percent three-point shooter is he going to be happy being more of like the spot up guy because i would imagine that somebody's going to have to be right i think that that chemistry is something that's going to have to be figured out i, I think that's the, the only thing that makes me hesitate is you have bradley beal whose game is awfully similar to devin booker like they are kind of the same guy in some ways, right? Just in, in, in terms of, of how they like to utilize the handle of the ball to get into spots, to set up their scoring, to set up their shots. They're just very similar there. And I think usually when big threes, and you know this hasn't necessarily been a thing for that long, but when you have kind of that, that um, you know, 
top tier, say, threesome of players, a lot of times they have been players that have obviously played different positions and thus could work off of each other in different ways. Now, you could argue, hey, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James were kind of similar as well in terms of being slashers and, and transition-type players, and Chris Bosh was the one that had to kind of take a step back. But even then, you could kind of see over time how their games kind of layered with each other pretty well. Uh, if you look at the Celtics' big three, Kevin Durant, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, now give credit to Ray Allen oh, yeah. when he got there. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Kevin Garnett. Uh, what did I say, Kevin Durant? Yeah, yeah Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and, um, and uh, Ray Allen. Give credit to Ray Allen because he kind of changed his game a little bit when he got to Boston uh, and became a little bit more of that kind of roamer off screen, spot up shooter type of guy. And, and he absolutely flourished uh, in that role. Will Bradley Beal be able to do that? Also, he's probably a, you know, uh, sub-average defender, at least at this stage, at least what we have seen. Will he be more vo motivated on that end of the floor being in Phoenix? I think a lot of re that remains to be seen, but I think the thing that's scary if you're a Phoenix Suns fan is they have locked themselves in. It is all this or nothing because of the, the contract uh, restrictions that they now have, uh, no trade clause in the Bradley Beal deal, uh, and so they don't have a lot of leverage when trying to, to work with these guys going forward. So uh, it has to work if you're the Phoenix Suns, uh, because you have absolutely sold yourself out for it. Yeah, and ever since they've had new, new ownership, um, it's really interesting to see the direction they've taken. Um, you know, this trade, they give up depth, they give up defense, but the coach they just hired in Frank Vogel, um, he's a very defensive-minded coach, and when his teams are at their best, um, like we saw with the, the bubble champion Lakers, um, they're defending, um, you know. Uh, so with this one, yeah. with this trade, um, it's really hard to see um, what direction they go in besides being a, a scoring team. But I think the big winner in this scenario is definitely Bradley Beal because last summer um, he had just finished his 10th NBA season, which um, allowed him to sign a, you know, a ridiculous contract <laughs> worth uh, over $250 million. And people thought that, you know, he was being complacent, um, you know, just uh, stacking his chips uh, money-wise. Um, not really thinking about winning, but now he still has uh, <laughs> four years, 207 million to go, and he gets to join a contender. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to see um, what they can build um, with what they have uh, financially. On paper, you if you just in a vacuum were to look at that trade, right, and what the Wizards gave up um, in Bradley Beal and what the Suns had to give up to get Bradley Beal. Like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. On paper, that is an absolute no-brainer. What a steal. But then you have to kind of think about the nuance of, all right, now what does Phoenix have? They were already pretty low on depth last year. Like, that was the biggest knock on them, and we saw that come to fruition in the postseason. If Kevin Durant and Devin Booker didn't go bananas, like, if they didn't go off – it was tough for them. Uh, it puts even more pressure on them now because they're even less deep. Than, uh, certainly a guy who has the potential to be an elite scorer to the fray. Uh, but, you know, the old adage, uh, you can only play with one basketball. Uh, will there be enough uh, offense to go around for all those guys? We'll see. All right, we'll take... All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku, he is the digital sports reporter for KHON2. He's in the house as my special guest co-host. It's our last segment. It's the home stretch. It's time for our best and worst. Christian, what is your best here for the day? Yeah, my best uh, can't be anything other than Shohei Otani, who uh, is the best player in baseball right now. Uh, for the month of June, nine home runs. He's hitting 400, and he's also one of the best pitchers in the game. Yeah, no, he's 
He's just amazing, man. Like, he is just absolutely unbelievable and uh, bucket list type stuff in terms of uh, watching Shohei Otani play. Like, that's that's how I feel about the guy. Uh, he is just uh, remarkable and um, like one of the greatest talents we have ever seen. And it's just getting better and better and better as the time goes on. All right. Uh, my best is the Jello Shot contest that has become a tradition in Omaha for the College Baseball World Series. Rocco's does a uh, Jello Shot competition. They keep a board on this kind of whiteboard in the bar uh, and so they tally based on the amount of shots purchased by the different fan bases so they represent the teams that are there uh, in Omaha and LSU has set a new jello shot record for the tournament of over 21,000 jello shots so LSU fans have bought and consumed over 21,000 jello shots that sets the record I think last year uh, it was Ole Miss got up to like over 18,000 and mm -hmm. LSU just blew them out of the water. There's not even anyone like remotely close to them. Yeah, not at all. Um, but Oral Roberts, uh, 2,610 <laughs> shots. Um, they're outperforming Florida, Tennessee, uh, Virginia, Stanford, Oral Roberts. I did not see that coming. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people saw uh, that coming for sure. Um, congrats to LSU, I guess. Yeah, um, I think another thing you think Where about... Where are you at, Tennessee? <laughs> yeah, is, uh, you know, if Hawaii ever gets to Omaha, how would UH's fans represent? Oh, what do you bro. think? Well, I was up in uh, New Orleans when uh, Hawaii fans went up there, and uh, I think we would do pretty well. I think, we would, <laughs> I think Hawaii fans would do pretty well. Let's just put it that way. Um, when they get the opportunity to compete in that kind of way. All right, real quick, what's your worst? Um, former West Virginia men's basketball coach Bob Huggins... Um, Getting a DUI over the weekend, um, unceremoniously ending his career. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, something's going on with that guy, man. He's, he's hit a, a weird place in his life, and I hope that he uh, figures some of that stuff out over four decades of college coaching, pretty quality-level uh, college coaching as well, and kind of went kaputs there uh, in just a few weeks. Um, all right, my worst is the betonline.ag sportsbook. Uh, they have uh, announced that they are proud to be the first sportsbook to offer betting odds on the Special Olympics. They're betting on the Special Olympics. How does that make you feel, Christian? It just feels Uji, man. Yeah, just uncomfortable. And, um, like, I couldn't imagine wagering money on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like, a... What's worse, the guy that wants to bet on it or the, the faction that is allowing people to bet? I just I don't know how that makes me feel. It just doesn't seem right, doesn't feel yeah, right. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. Uh, and so that's my worst. All right, that's it for us. Christian, thanks so much. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have a good one.